1: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
2: What you're about to hear is an unscripted, one-time counseling session focused on work. For the purposes of maintaining confidentiality, names, employers, and other identifiable characteristics have been removed. But their voices and their stories are real.
3: Which names do we want to use?
0: (laughs) Just so I understand. But the lines are kind of muddling, you know? Like now when I'm introducing myself Mm -hmm. to someone, I'm like, oh wait, that's not my real name. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of becoming that. And when you become close to each other, do Mm -hmm. you start to call each other by your real
3: names? Is that a sign of intimacy between?
1: I think it is. I think it is, too. But it's it's an adjustment. Like, I know one of our co-workers' real names, but I didn't tell her my real name, and I was like, did I, did I make some faux pas here? Like, she's been referring to herself as her real name, and I haven't been like, oh, my name is this. It is isn't. It is
0: a level of intimacy. These two women work
3: together. We are in the strip club. It is a place where sex gets peddled within highly regulated and controlled environments. One has started recently, she's a baby stripper. The other has been in the industry for a while and has much to teach. They both have graduate school education. And they are smart, vibrant women in their 20s who have chosen to make their living for the time being in the sex industry.
0: I just, I feel continually undermined the job has always been that place where I've been needed and I feel important. A lot of the people that work for me are like an extension of my family.
3: There's no doubt that your emotional and relational dowry comes with you to work. Imagine going to work every day in a really busy place and no one will make eye contact with you.
2: I mean, it feels like a breakup.
3: It doesn't feel. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So. How's work? In many work situations, people have to straddle overlapping relational systems that do not always play by the same rules. So in the situation of these two women, they have the relationship with each other, the team. They have the relationship with the customer. They have the relationship with the manager. They have the relationship with the boss. And they have the relational system with the world outside their family and friends. And so I decide to start the conversation with them in terms of their relationship with their customers.
1: It's so funny to me because with my regular, like, he will pay for a room with me. And most of it will, like, slow dance, which I think is, yeah, it's just like... I will. So, like full body hug. It's beautiful. Swaying. And you know, and then like he feels me up. Um, but it's, it's like almost an immature type of relationship because I'm reminded of like a middle school dance. Ugh. You know?
0: Like and he's like probably thinking, who the hell knows what he's thinking about, but you're giving him that intimacy. Because
1: mm-hmm. there's like grinding and like, yeah. And it just it just reminds me of like a middle school dance where like a man, a boy is just like, oh my god, I get to touch like boobs and like a butt for the first time. <laughs> and I'm just like, sure, buddy. You're like, thank do, you for the hundred dollars. Do what you gotta do. <laughs> okay. Fine. But I But think- I think the the it would not just be that. Like if, if that's all that he was coming for, he wouldn't have been my regular for a year.
3: No. Is anything that
0: sex gives you access to, but it isn't sex per se. But even the people who I know who do full service, um, and they are getting paid for sex, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just the sex, it's, you know, sex workers do things by day or by night, or you know what I mean, like the, the block of time, and it's like dinner, and it's like a whole experience. And maybe, you know, maybe some women would consider that infidelity, but if you think about it as This customer or client is paying for practice. Mm. They want that experience of, okay, I'm taking a a beautiful person to dinner. I'm, you know, we're we're going to a hotel room. I'm giving them luxury. I'm giving them comfort. I'm giving them, you know, pleasure, which is obviously like not all clients can can give or want to give pleasure, but maybe they do. It's practice for them. Mm I have customers who come in and they want to discuss books, or I have customers who come in who just like simply want to have a party girl.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Like you know, the customer that we both mutually see when I sit with him, um, I order beer, you know, I, and we we drink a beer together. And I'm like, oh, thank God you're here, and I can finally order order a beer and be myself. Like <laughs> that's the experience that he wants, and I cater that to him.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's kind of interesting because. They become different people, so it's really a moment for a customer to become who they're comfortable being Mm -hmm. that day. Mm
3: -hmm. When men pay for sex, what is it that they're paying for? What is the currency of sex giving them access to? And part of what they're talking about is the intimacy, the visibility, the feeling desirable, feeling attractive, being accepted not being shamed or humiliated or made to feel small. Somebody who laughs at their joke, being listened to. Somebody who pays attention, who appreciates their presence. In the end, in a very sexualized environment, a lot of these regulars come to talk. And what they really are paying for may be much more emotional and psychological than just the mere transaction of sex.
0: One particular girl ends the pimp talk with, the man is the enemy, we're going to take their money, let's have a good night. (laughs) Every single night. And that, you know, it sets the tone. We're like, yeah, like everyone's excited, they're ready for the shift.
1: Yeah, like also just not operating. Explain
0: this one, the man is the enemy. Well, like, you know, obviously we love our regulars and we love our customers who treat us well, but that is not the majority of the people that come into clubs. Yeah, tell me more. I mean, you go, we go around for tips. We dance on stage for 15 minutes, and we go around for tips. Some customers will respectfully hand you their tip, um, ranging anywhere from $1 to $10. You know, like, a good customer will hand you a 20 and, <laughs> and, and give it to you respectfully. Some customers want you to turn around, and they want to slap the dollar onto your butt as hard as they can.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and it's like, I'm still going to take that dollar, but I'm going to remember you, Or even in some situations, strippers have straight up slapped the customer right back. And some people are allowed to break the rules because of how long they've been coming. Mm -hmm. And some people
1: um, don't have to have respect for us. Yeah, I think that comes back to boundaries too. Because I feel like in our club, and maybe more generally, because most strip clubs are managed by men. Mm. And... I feel like those boundaries are less clear like like when there are different rules for different customers or when different bouncers want to do different amounts of work or something like that um, which is maybe why like we have as strong boundaries as we have and why solidarity and and at least at our club like operating from this place of of trying really hard not to have a scarcity mindset and going into every shift and being like, we're all here, we're all going to make our money. We don't have to make it exactly the same way. You know, everyone has something different to offer. Every customer is looking for something different. So there's opportunity for everyone. Um, but I think definitely with, with the way that management can be kind of um, inconsistent, that's why it's really important for us to be like, we know what our limits are and we know what we will tolerate. And at the end of the day, if I have to stand up for myself, I'm gonna do that. And
0: she will have support by Mm -hmm. every single person working with her. Mm -hmm. No one is gonna say, your boundaries are invalid. Mm -hmm.
3: Because management is not protecting you enough. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and that's a great way to say it too because it's not that they're not protecting us, it's just not always up to what we need. Mm
3: One of the things that she's highlighting in terms of analysing the relationship culture, is this a workplace that operates from a place of scarcity, or is this a culture that operates with a mentality of abundance? There's enough for everybody to go around, versus whatever you get is my loss. And you can see every work environment is going to negotiate between these two outcomes in terms of the culture of the workplace. Once they understand that this is a place of abundance, they also gather around each other. They support each other. They protect each other and they value solidarity. They stand united in the event that management will not come to support them in an industry that often does not have an HR representative. Tell me more about the men being the enemy. It's a strong line.
0: It's, I think it's just a catchphrase because obviously, like I said, we all love our customers on a certain level I don't (laughs) again I'm a baby stripper stripper so I have (laughs) a little bit more energy
1: (laughs) I mean I appreciate them yeah that's a better way (laughs) sometimes but sometimes I feel like even as much as I appreciate them I'm just like you're not paying me enough for this like the the ego needs of men are so profound Mm. and I'm just like it's so much work um I appreciate them. I I feel like I learn a lot. You learn,
3: you have an insight into the male psyche. Mm -hmm. What are some of the important things you've learned? Because you don't only learn about sex. Mm -hmm. You you learn about a whole set of needs. Mm
1: -hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've learned has to do with how vulnerable men are how much they need validation and affirmation, how much they want to be seen as sexual objects. I think that was the biggest thing that I learned because um, a lot of people, you know, going into a sh- strip club, you see like beautiful women and we're like dancing and we're taking our clothes off and it's, you know, a very objectified atmosphere. But at the same time, like I'm looking at the men. And part of my job is to make them feel sexy wanted. and to make them feel wanted. Mm. And and sometimes it's on a physical level, you know, and sometimes they want to be told that they're funny. And sometimes they want to, one, my main customer deals a lot with chronic pain and, like, you know, just being in physical contact and making eye contact and breathing together. You know, he's, whether or not this is true, he's told me that the next day after he sees me, his blood pressure is, like, lowered and, like, he's feeling calm and he's feeling, yeah. That's
0: <laughs> funny because he tells me every time I see him, you're going to give me a heart attack. So I do the
1: opposite for him. <laughs>
0: Whatever that means. Maybe he needs to feel his blood pressure up here and he needs to be stressed out, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just so much of, of men wanting to be seen. Obviously, it's ostensibly in an environment that caters to them where they, they have the power because they have the money, but, like, genuinely, that is not the power dynamic. At least the more comfortable I get and the longer I do this, I feel like you know, you're going to be giving me money and there's a transaction and, you know, in any other place in the world, you have the power because of the way gender is set up. But in that place, I'm just like, you know, I'm the one saying yes. So mm. I'm the one who has power. And and being able to invite them into my space and let them be themselves, I think is, that's probably why this customer has been seeing me as long as he has, because I don't think he gets that anywhere else
3: yeah that's that's why i was curious about the word enemy because enemy can up the sense that the other person or side is powerful whereas here i think the power dynamic is much more intricate
4: mm-hmm.
3: and not nearly as linear yes they have the money but you have the affirmation power but you can decide if you want to look at them or not you mm-hmm. can make them feel wanted or completely diminished and small you can You know, you can elevate them, you can ignore them, you can, and at the end, yes, they pay. There's a lot of transactions between men and women where men pay, Mm
0: -hmm. even
3: if it's not as explicit and deliberate as in a strip club.
0: Mm. I've learned that men feel really, really good when you choose them, and choosing them can just be smiling at them when you're on stage. Mm -hmm. Yes. Literally making eye contact with them and being like, I like you. They'll love that. That's the customer that's going to give you $5 when you come around Mm -hmm. and ask you to sit with them. Customers don't, some customers like to feel worked. They like to feel like, would you like to to buy a lap dance baby? Would you like to buy me a drink? Um, Would you like to tip me? Other customers like to have an experience where they feel like they're in a bar Mm -hmm. and they're just hanging out with their friends. And it really takes a very nuanced approach to every customer. But some strippers do not understand that and they try to work everyone. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: And they're not clued in to what the comfort level of the customer is. Some industries are organized around
3: an intimate interaction between the client, the customer, and the service provider. This is one of them. It demands highly discernible sensibility on the part of the provider to know the needs of the customer and then to deliver the service and be paid accordingly. So you are acquiring an amazing set of skills. Yeah. That you can use in the club and that you can use in many other jobs. You have an ability to intuit and read people, Mm -hmm. to read what's behind the facade, to look for the implicit to distinguish between five people but know that they want five different things yep. and that it's not the same thing every time. You, these are unique customer care skills, marketing skills, psychological skills, sales, sales <laughs> skills. <laughs> yeah. What about relation to the outside world?
1: I um, really struggle with being out or not being out in school. Um, but as I'm approaching graduation, it's it's another sort of wave of like how how is this going to impact my future once I'm getting ready to like leave dancing and start working more professionally? And I really want to work with sex workers and I want to bring more visibility and mental health mm-hmm. to sex workers' issues. But it's always a struggle of like, you know what are the consequences of this going to be for me? And i I know several other sex workers in my program. Most of them don't really talk about it, um, don't really make themselves visible in that way, which is also fair. But it's also hard to be the person who's known for sex work, you know, who's known to be that. That's the go-to person because then people will ask me questions out of context and I'll just be like, why is my job now to educate you? Like, I'm also a student. I'm also trying to get my education. So it's, it's a hard thing to navigate. Boundaries drop when people know you're a sex worker. Yeah.
3: Boundaries drop when people know you're a sex therapist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> you know, it's interesting because you also have an opportunity. I see the burden and I see the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? The burden is why do I have to educate you? You do because you have the knowledge, you do because you have the direct experience and you can do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. but it's a question that a lot of people have these days why should I explain because I'm the only foreigner here because I'm the only person of color here because I'm the only trans person here because my difference puts me in the responsibility of having to be the educator Mm -hmm. and I always thought why not on some level you know so when you hide it do you feel that you collude
1: I try to be very intentional about how I talk about my work. Um, I don't want to come from a place of anger or feeling threatened because I think it's not effective for me to do that. But there are definitely times where, like, I react to something in one of my classes by, like, using my identity, and I don't think that that's always the best thing to Can do. an
3: example.
1: Um... So there was a presenter in one of my classes last year who came in giving a presentation about violence against women. She was from a very um, prominent like, feminist organization. And she would said to me, well, you know, I consider all forms of sex work violence against women. And I was like, well, that, <laughs> that hasn't been my experience as a sex worker, but thank you. And I feel like that's not the best use of my story and my experience. Um, so I try to be really mindful of that and not not using myself that way. Um, Why
3: did you think it wasn't a good use?
1: I think it's just... I think I used it more for shock value, you know, and I don't think that that is intentional enough. Because um, I really... I feel like when you're doing something for shock value, there's less likely that people are going to really hear you.
0: I would have been impacted by you mm-hmm. in that moment. I would have been, like, proud that you had that shock, shock value moment of, well, that's not my experience as someone who does that job. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might not feel like that was the best move, but as a that fellow sex worker, a choice, mm-hmm. That it can be a choice. That it can be a choice. That it can be
3: a financial choice. That it uh, does not necessarily mean that there was sexual trauma mm. in every sex worker's life, that, um, that given that women will often use their sexual powers in all kinds of contexts, some say at least I want to be clearly paid for it rather than il- un- un- indirectly, indirectly paid for it. Mm. At least then the rules are very, very clear
4: mm.
3: rather than my having to go with the rich person and be nice, and then hope that we will go shopping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No? Not So that's what you were saying to this person. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't been dragged into this. Mm-hmm. I made this a conscious choice. And I deal more with the judgments that other people have over it than my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or do you feel that the judgment of others seeps in under your skin and it becomes your own as well? Do you find that you have to justify to yourself what you do?
1: Not so much anymore, but in the beginning, yes. It was difficult to—I would get a lot more anxious either before a shift or after a shift. I don't know. You're new, so what is your— I've been doing sex
0: work since I was in college in terms of— I used to sell content and I used to be a cam girl, um, and I wasn't very out about that. When I was in college, but once I went to grad school, um, I went to get my MFA. I really thought, all right, this is my moment to advocate and be that person. So we all had to introduce ourselves on the first day of, you know, graduate school MFA program, and I'm surrounded by people, you know, standing up saying, this year I'm going to be working on my novel, and, you know, I, you know, I've already worked in publishing, but I'm gonna just come here to casually do an MFA that costs hundred thousand dollars. And I stood up and I was like, hi. I'm a cam girl and I'm here to write about that. And I mean, the judgment, the judgment that I faced. So, I mean, I'm at a point of going on now three years of being in sex work, uh, almost five months of being a stripper, and I'm just bubbling with anger, just absolutely bubbling over. And a lot of that anger is directed at civilian women. I... I cannot even begin to express the amount of anger I feel at women in my life who just don't want to be supportive and who just want to put themselves above me. And I think a lot of that, I was talking to a friend who's a dom last night, um, and she said, you know, women, civilian women, have anger against sex workers because how men treat sex workers, which sometimes can be violent, can be, objectifying, can be hurtful, can be degrading. That's how they wanna treat all women. Mm-hmm. So we make them uncomfortable because we allow that for money, because we let men have these moments of finding themselves and f- kind of figuring out their feelings and sometimes their traumas. So where are the women who aren't doing my job, who stand next to me on the subway, who are my friends from college, who are those people and, and when are they gonna stand up for me? So, I don't know, this feeling of, like, it's heartbreak. You know, you have to look at, I'm out to my whole family, um, except for my two grandmothers, because I just don't want to deal with that. But I've had to have some very real conversations with my mom that have been hard, really hard. But I have to be patient. What stood
3: out? Hmm? What stood out in your conversation with
0: your mom? She went to assumption first, always. She went to anger, she went to disappointment. Um, but now she's doing research on her own and she's trying to understand and she's being empathetic and she's telling me she's proud, so that's, that's big. You know, my dad always asks me, are you writing every night? You make sure you're writing, because that's what you gotta do. You have good stories right now. These are the stories you're gonna tell. So I feel validation from my family and from a majority of my friends, but I have dropped the amount of friends that I speak to on an often basis by probably 75% since becoming a stripper.
3: So when people say in school, for example, or even in your family, why would you do this, right? That's a question you probably get. I mean, you have to constantly justify why you choose what you do, right? What do you say? What do you say and what do you not say?
1: <laughs> um, I When I came out to my mom, <laughs> it was because she saw me pay for something in singles.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, that's
1: really <laughs> she was funny. like, why do you have so many singles? And I think she knew. My mom's very perceptive and intuitive. And I think she knew for a while because she knew I was taking pole dance lessons. And she was like, that seems like a weird way to spend your time, but okay. And she saw me pay for something in singles. And she, we were out with family, and she really wanted to have a conversation. And I was like, okay, like, we can talk a little bit right now, but I really, I didn't tell you. And I'm very close with my family. And I was like, I didn't tell you because I didn't want to have this conversation. And she said she didn't really say, why do you do this? But I think it was implicit in her reaction, um, and she was very curious, and and she was very frightened, mm. I think. Um, and one of the hard things is she put me in this position of being like, but they don't touch you, right? Oh. And I was like, no, they don't. Um, and it's, it's, that's the hardest thing is when, when someone says they want you to give them the story that they want to hear. And, mm. and she had said, you know, when... Because my, on my mom's side were immigrants from South America. And um, she was like, you know, when, when your grandmother came here, she came to New York and, and she came to make our lives better and she came... So that we wouldn't have to start at the bottom, and like now you're doing this, and and not not shaming me, like she wasn't angry, but she was sad, like there was something sad about what I was doing, and
3: stripping is the bottom
1: yeah and the and the sort of implication that because we're immigrants, we'd been at the bottom for. But I told her, I was like, <laughs> um, I told her, I was like, you know, I don't feel like I'm at the bottom of anything. I, um, I mean, I know sort of in the eyes of people who don't really understand this work that it's quote unquote degrading or degraded. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like I'm at the bottom. I feel like I made a choice for myself because um, we don't come from money. We don't have a lot of money. I went to college on a full scholarship and I didn't wanna take out loans for my master's program and I also didn't wanna continue working in an administrative job, um, cause I, it's just, I was really unhappy. And I was like, you know, I, I knew that I needed to do something. I knew I needed to change something about my life. I knew I needed to get myself in a position where I could be creative and use myself in really creative ways and also make a living. And, and that's something that I'm always really aware of too. And it's something that I made sure that I explained to my mom. Cause I was like, look, this was not a failure on your part just because you and, and my dad, like just because we don't have money to throw around, just because, you know, me and my brother knew that we would have to really bust our butts to be able to go to school. Um, you know, that's not a failure on my parents' part. It's not a failure on my part to, to do what I am good at doing. Parents often have dreams for their kids.
3: And immigrant parents often have aspirations for their children that will be further away from where they began. And many people have had jobs that our parents don't understand or are disappointed in or think are dangerous or think are below them or thing will be held against them. And these are very difficult conversations to have. To explain to those who often have given us everything they had so that we could become who we want to be, that we're going to take a different course. Something about working in the sex industry has always taken that to the edge. Because there is something about sexuality that often connotes the more degraded parts of us. And so, by definition, it is a form of debasement. And that's what these women, on on, on some level, want to see this as a, as a conscious choice, as an intentional choice, as a form of emancipation. But on the other end, it's butting against centuries of the notion that a woman
1: that has had sex is washed up. She's used. I think control of the narrative is what's really important to me. Because I want to be the one who's in that position of being like, I'm going to share this with you because you're lucky that you get to, you know, me to share it.
3: It's interesting. You want to control the narrative. But the narrative of your family, which was, we came from nothing. We came to avoid situations where women had no say. We came here to have a better. And if you go and you do this are you basically taking us back to the bottom?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: How do you say to us, this is not a bottom? This is Me choosing this is not the same as me being forced to.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean... The, the mo- you know, the moment that stands out is when you say, you know, they worry about me.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and then they make me tell them things that they know is not true. So they want me to lie so that I can reassure them. Mm -hmm. And in a way, I have to protect them because they're not going to protect me. Mm -hmm. It's also giving them comfort where you're not finding comfort. You know, and I have to tell them that that I I live within their narrative. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who wants to control the narrative... That's not necessarily what happens at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then on your end, it's, you know, um, who decides what's respectable here, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. who decides which is the woman that is really a threat Mm -hmm. to the solidarity of women or a threat to the aggression of men?
1: Yeah. I think maybe some of the, the sort of like hatred for sex workers comes from this fear of infidelity and, you know, I personally don't feel like I am a threat to anyone's marriage because I'm not going to steal your husband or your boyfriend. So.
3: No, but what you're saying is that I may be a dancer that you come to pay for the night, but in fact I enter a family system mm-hmm. of which I become recruited in a play I have an audition for. Mm-hmm. But I am an actor in that play. Mm-hmm. What am I trying to say to her? You think that you're only dancing for the guy and that you're only working with this one customer. You know, it's like the tobacco company saying, we don't create addictions, we don't smoke, we don't force anybody to smoke, we just make cigarettes. It's not completely accurate. You do have to understand that in their story, when this comes out, you are an active participant in a family drama that you don't even know is going on. You may not think so but you are. You only control a part of the narrative. That's what I mean by the play you didn't audition for.
0: I'm excited because this <laughs> this plays into my anger but also like I think this is so important. I come from a family where we were super poor and my dad was just totally cheating on my mom my entire childhood. I think I found my first like clue of infidelity when I was like nine and it was a love letter written by like a 21-year-old to my then 35-year-old dad. Like, I, it's been so prominent in my life, and now that I'm a stripper, it's like, wait, what? Like, you think I'm the problem? <laughs> like, I'm not the problem, especially when couples come in. Like, couples will come in. It's awkward. And the girl will be there, the woman will be there, and he'll she'll get mad at her husband or her boyfriend for tipping, or she'll get mad. It's like, why did you come here? <laughs> What is? Why would you come here with your boyfriend if you know it makes you upset and you're just going to sit there and pout? Why are you pouting? Why are you mad at me? This is my job. I don't come to your job and sit there and pout about what you do. I'm not the problem and I don't like infidelity and I like clear and open communication. That's why I'm doing this job and mm-hmm. where it's a clear dynamic where I'm asking for your tip, not your boyfriend's like penis. <laughs> like I don't want him. I want your money. Have you ever had a a wife or a mother or a
1: daughter? A daughter? A customer, um, his daughter had texted me and I didn't know. The the only thing that was weird is I didn't know that it was his daughter and she was texting me and trying to threaten me. And she was like, I know what you do, like leading old men on for money, like have some self-respect. And I didn't, it scared me. Like I don't use my real phone number for work, so I was like, What is the level of risk here, you know? But but other women we work with have had stalkers and, you know, like, scary stuff. And that was the first, and I think the only time that ever happened to me. And then the customer came back, and he was like, my my daughter, she's 17. And I was like, oh. But now,
0: look, from where I am, it's like, especially knowing this customer, it's like, I don't want your dad. Like, get get real. Get real, girlfriend. Like, we don't... Strippers don't want your dad or your boyfriend or your husband. Like, we just want our money and it's our job. And it's your dad, boyfriend, husband's choice Mm -hmm. to come in.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: But when you said that, I was like, I was almost embarrassed for myself. I was like, oh, I've done that. But it wasn't to a stripper. I wish my dad would have been going to strip clubs. I was like, yeah. Yeah.
3: It's a complicated, I mean, I like your word about a complicated situation. Mm -hmm. And I understand when you say, you know, I don't make the choice. I also, at the same time, you are part of their life, Mm -hmm. even if you think you're not. Even if all you think is that you take their money, you're not. Yeah. And so it's not so simple. They come and they
0: they make the decision. They do, but they bring parts of you back with them. Mm and they also give deceit to their partners. Mm-hmm. When I started, I started in December, which is like a very busy month. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's a busy month is because when wives go through bank statements, <laughs> they see ATM you know, transactions if they go to a strip club and husbands can easily tell their wives, I got out cash for Christmas presents. Which when I heard that, I was like, Ugh. you know what I mean, like, oh, that's such a like, wow, that's so hard, but also like, your intermarital interrelationship deceit is not my issue Mm
3: -hmm.
0: that's something that you need to do on your own Mm -hmm. but also those situations are our bread and butter Mm
3: -hmm. it's interesting there's more on your anger and there's more on your sadness
0: yes (laughs) and it's so it's also interesting to see where we are in our careers of doing this like your like anger has kind of faded into more of a like there's sadness in that and Mm -hmm. mine is so fresh
3: I know that there is more anger on your side, mm-hmm. more militants. Oh, you know, it's not it's not just some anger. It's it's very directed. It's very clear. As much as well is I think the difference between the two of you. I'm wondering how much that is also rooted in the fact that you emphasize, I'm white and I'm privileged and I know my place in society, and that you are the child of an immigrant, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I you are much more confrontational, and you will. That, that's not a judgment. This is I, no, I, I no. watch your styles, and your styles are personality, and your styles are your histories, and your styles are your origins.
0: Yeah, and I've, I that doesn't mean that I'm not fear I'm not fearful of things, and I don't have sadness. But I, in order to feel authentic, I need to be confrontational. But I have so much empathy for you know what I mean? Like you and like it makes me want to cry like hearing the situation because there is a lot of similarity that I've experienced. I've just chosen to not have feelings about it. Because if I get caught up in those no, feelings. You've
3: chosen to express your feelings differently. You yes.
0: process them
3: differently and you each are complementary parts. Mm-hmm. When you get angry, she says, go, girl. And when she gets sad, you say, I feel for you. Because each one of you expresses the feelings that the other doesn't really allow herself to.
0: Mm -hmm. It's funny because when I started... Which is true in many
3: work situations. Yeah. But that means that when you are at work, Mm -hmm. you know, this this is what happens in many teams, right? You could call yourself members of a team you're members of the group of dancers and when injustices or inequities or unfair rules or all kinds of work situations occur, you are more likely to be the one that's going to, you know, show your fist (laughs) and she's going to be the one that... Is going to do the risk management of your fist, mm-hmm. and she is the one that's going to respond with more cautiousness, and you are going to be the one that makes sure that she does not, you know, just retreat like that in silence, and that um, her rights are protected, and that is work dynamics.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: The angry one or the confrontational one is doing a service but needs to be managed in terms of, you know, when is it useful and when is it not. And the one who goes cautious and retreats and goes more silence and keeps to herself and, you know, assesses Mm -hmm. the risks needs to also be encouraged on occasion to stand up.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: And you will help her with the standing up and she will help you with the sitting down.
0: Yeah, even I think on Saturday night, I was mad about something, and I was grumpy and stomping around, but I was, like, forcing myself to be out on the floor, and I, something happened, I needed to go to the dressing room, and you were in there, and you were just chilling and having a moment to yourself, and I was like, I need that also. Like, I need to allow myself that. So you inspired me to take a minute, and then I kind of was like, let's get out there, when I was ready, and you were like, all right, let's do this. Like, you need that sort of team dynamic, Mm -hmm. and nowhere else in my life and no other job has that dynamic that I have, that confrontationalness, that push, and that energy, it's never been useful anywhere else. Mm. It's always aided in my own discomfort or my own hurt. Even in friendships, like, I voice what I feel, but it doesn't always help me. And in this job, it really does. To have those moments of like, well, oh, I'm angry, and I need to get it out, and now I feel good.
1: Mm. I think that's what's really interesting about stripping in particular, comparing it to my other jobs where I think a lot of the anger that I felt at other jobs, at my treatment at other jobs, um, didn't have any place to go. Mm -hmm. And, like, it does here. You know, I can talk back to a customer and be like, that was rude. You're being rude. You're not behaving correctly. You know, and you need to really consider what you're doing. Um, You can't do that
3: in an office. mm
1: -mm. I mean, I I have Mm. set boundaries with... Um, Like I used to work in a hospital and I used to work in a doctor's office and people would come in and be really entitled and, you know, because I was young and because I am ambiguous looking and because I was in college, you know, people would be really, really awful to me. And I used to be like, please don't treat me like that, you know. But like at, (laughs) at work, I can be like, fuck off. Yeah. You know, and that I don't feel as worn down as I did when I was working in an office or something like that um and I used to get angrier at work but I also I try to be careful about how I use my energy Mm -hmm. because when I get angry like it can ruin my night and I'm just like I I still need to pay my bills I can't and that's hard like it's really hard to be in control of that
0: but your level of control inspires someone like me who who I do get angry and it does ruin my night and it has happened often. I see how you get angry and I'm like, hmm. Like even sometimes I've seen you deal with a customer and then go on stage and like do a bunch of poll and it, you're working out your energy. Mm-hmm. I've started doing that and it's made my energy last longer.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm able to go through a shift with a smile.
3: But that's a very interesting part of the work that you just highlighted, which is I need to regulate Mm -hmm. I need to self-regulate, I need to monitor my own energy level, my own emotions, my own reactivity. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time that there is a level of authenticity in the way that I can respond to someone who does not treat me respectfully in ways that I'm not able to do in other jobs. Mm -hmm. So there is performance and authenticity Mm -hmm. that are going back to back here. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is intense interaction with others, but also intense checking in with yourself. Oh,
0: yes. Yes, like you're saying, the authenticity is so important, but the self-care that goes into doing this job, I don't think I've ever been the type of person to, I'm doing weekly therapy, weekly massages, I journal every day, I clean my house on such a like meticulous level that makes me feel good. Like I do these things and I never had time to do everything that I want to do, or everything that I need to do, and then everything that I want to do. So, I mean, say what you want about sex work, but I'm learning a new language, saving for my future, planning for amazing goals and things, and checking things off of a list that stayed dormant for so long. Mm. But the thing that I wanted
3: to, to just leave both of you with is that you have a tremendous source of knowledge and experience to write and to treat. Mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you. But the the foundational knowledge that you bring with you of seeing people often through a lens of truth that other people don't know, and that is tremendous knowledge. Thank you, (laughs) yeah. We all have an unofficial resume. And it's the parts of our lives that have shaped us or taught us so much, those that will actually give us the skill set for the jobs we are to find in the future. But we can't put any of those experiences on the one-page official resume.
2: Esther Perel is a best-selling author, speaker, and host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin? To learn more about Esther Perel's world, to sign up for her newsletter, or to apply to be on the podcast, go to esterperel.com slash How's Work. is produced by Magnificent Noise for Gimlet and Esther Perel Productions. Our production staff includes Eric Newsom, Eva Wolchover, Destry Sibley, Alex Lewis, Kristen Muller, and our coordinating producer is Lindsay Rutowski. Our recording engineer is Noriko Okabe, and Damon Whittemore is our mix engineer. The theme song was written by Doug Slaywin, and the executive producers of Howe's Work are Esther Perel and Jesse Baker. We would also like to thank Nazanin Rafsanjani, Matt Lieber, Darian LeBeach, Courtney Hamilton, Kelly Rose, Nick Oxenhorn, Dr. Guy Winch, Katherine Minshew and her team at The Muse, Paul Schneider, Thomas Curry, Shani Aviram, and Jack Saul.